Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Say for network. I'm Biggs. I'm Brandon. I'm Carl. Whoa! Wait a second. All three of us are in the room. Woohoo! Did you sneak in, Carl? What happened? Uh, <laughs> it's a long story. My window's sealed. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> All right, let's start out with a poll. So we had a poll from a little while ago that I forgot to read off. So after Ivan Reitman passed, we asked what the best Ivan Reitman movie was. 100% of people said Ghostbusters. So (laughs) it wasn't even close. One vote for Ghostbusters. That's what it was, yeah. (laughs) I like to do percentages because it sounds better. (laughs) But if you want to really, really sway the vote, you can vote in and your opinion will be up there. So, uh, But Ghostbusters is the answer. Yeah. This week, it is the answer for sure. Do you guys want to talk about Hollywood and Russia right now? <sighs> no, but that's what we're here to do. Yeah. So as everybody knows, Ukraine was invaded by Russia. So Hollywood's trying to put pressure on it. I don't think they're going to have much success on anything. There's one thing that I think could be helpful, but only one thing. But let's get to the things I don't think will make a difference first. So Cairns has barred the Russian delegation or anyone from the Russian government from appearing. Individual Russian directors will be welcome, but it's unclear as to whether their films will be allowed to compete. I don't think that's going to have much success. Disney, Warner Brothers, Sony, Universal, and Paramount, that's all five of the major networks, have withheld any new theatrical releases from Russia. Think that Sony, Warner Brothers, and Disney have movies that are out in Russia right now, and they will pull them when they're contractually allowed to. But until then, they're pulling new releases. I would say that's not quite far enough. Sony is the only one of these companies that doesn't have a streaming network. And I would say the other four, if you're serious about it, like pull your streaming networks as well. But that would probably cost them too much money. So maybe that's asking too much, right? Whatever. I don't think it would put pressure on them anyway. I mean, it's in each thing individually doesn't wouldn't do much. But when everybody is doing it all at the same time. It kind of creates a lot of backlash. And I mean, eventually, don't these guys have to eventually see how insane and self serving Putin is, right? And like stop letting him control them? <laughs> it's got to happen at some point. <laughs> I feel like it'll happen when he dies. <laughs> yeah, which, man, you think they've been trying behind the scenes to kill him? Oh, I'm sure there's always somebody trying, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but he's... In every photo of Putin, there's like, it's like 60 spot, feet between him and the anybody assassin, else. Find the hidden assassin, like, where's Waldo? Oh, there he is in the grass. There <laughs> yeah. he is. That's He's the third guy from the left. The one with the poison. Problem with trying to assassinate somebody who is a world leader slash ex-head of the KGB is they tend to be pretty slippery. I think that it's Rasputin. Putin. Rasputin. Putin. So you're buying into he's, he's really Dracula? Rasputin? Uh, well, he's similarly long, long-lived. long I don't know if he's a vampire necessarily, but he's like figured something out, dude. He is in really good shape. I saw a photo from of him from a couple of years ago. He had his shirt off on a horse, and he looked really, really strong. So, How about the one where he's swimming like a dolphin? I haven't seen that one. Is that a new one? 
Um, and then this one, I think, actually could do something. But Netflix will not air the 20 free-to-air propaganda channels that are required to show under Russian law. So that one, I'm like, that could actually make somewhat of a difference if they're not able to get all the propaganda stuff, especially cord cutters. You know what I mean? Yeah, I saw that Canada has also similarly blocked the Russian Times network, which is the state-ran sort of news network. It's gone from Canadian airwaves entirely. And I think I heard, well, somebody told me this, so uh, that Bezos is making sure that the the satellites keep beaming into Ukraine so that they're continuing to get internet yeah. and cell service. So <laughs> that actually could be helpful just in figuring out what the fuck's going on there. Cause traditionally you knock out communications pretty quick when you invade somewhere. So yeah. Okay. Do you add something on this, Brandon? So the Venice film festival is organizing uh, free screenings of the film reflection about uh, Ukraine's Eastern Donbas region. It was in competition at Venice Film Festival last year, but there are showing free screenings of that this year. The European Broadcasting Union will not be allowing Russia an entry into this year's competition. And that's taking place in Italy on May 14th. Ukraine will be represented by the Kalush Orchestra. A couple of performers, uh, Imagine Dragons, who is in Montana as we're recording. They have canceled all shows in Russia and Ukraine till further notice. Green Day was supposed to play at May 29th at the Spartak Stadium in Moscow, and they pulled out of that. Youngblood canceled all of his Russian shows over the summer. AGR pulled out of a show in Russia. There's a few movies that are not going to be released in Russia. The upcoming The Batman, Disney's Turning Red, Morbius. Well, okay, Sony, now you're doing Russia a favor. <laughs> you should put that right back on the slate. Yeah, you should be beaming it into all the Russian houses and forcing them to watch it. Put it onto those Netflix propaganda stations. <laughs> Make them watch it until wow. they give up. It's wow. like playing rock music for somebody <laughs> holding up in a building, you know, with hostages. They should just, like, have screenings, but all it is is, like, a music video for Baby Shark. <laughs> That's how you get them, dude. Just every <laughs> streaming service is playing Baby Shark on repeat. Uh, Let's watch Squid Game. Nope, Baby Shark. Let's see. Paramount is pulling Lost City and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And then Universal has pulled Ambulance and the Bad Guys. I don't even know what that is. I think we can agree Universal is doing the least here, right? <laughs> <laughs> the bad guys is some kind of animated thing. And then Ambulance is, I've been seeing a lot of trailers being put out and it's kind of a one last job and they rob a bank and then they get away in an ambulance and person's dying. And I can't remember who the main is. But. Getaway action comedy crime <laughs> movie. I hope it starts out with the ambulance driver waking up and taking a slug of whiskey and then sniffing Chinese food and putting it back in the fridge. <laughs> Is that some kind of reference? Uh, it's like every other heist movie, at least. There's yeah. always some disheveled dude. Oh, yeah. that's It's a Jake Gyllenhaal's the main character, but it's a Michael Bay joint. Once <laughs> again, dude, you're not punishing Russia. <laughs> uh, I know at least two of us saw Studio 666. Did you get a chance to see it? No, I didn't get there. 
All right. What'd you think, Brian? I'm going to give you first blood here. I enjoyed it a lot, but I really wish I hadn't seen the Red Band trailer before I had watched it. Oh, because you saw all the good parts? Like, all of the death scenes are in the Red Band trailer. <laughs> yeah. I That's had... not the movie's fault. That's the trailer cutter's fault. That's the studio's fault. The marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck those guys for fucking ruining the movie with a poorly done trailer. I have to agree with the marketing department on this one because there wasn't anything I, else to put in the trailer no dude <laughs> <laughs> that's really the hard not. part yeah yeah it, like if i'm being honest i enjoyed the act of going to the movie it's not good i mean i i don't want to shit all over it because i do like Dave Grohl, and I do like the Foo Fighters, but none of them can act, and it's very evident in this movie. I mean, I thought <laughs> Dave Grohl might be able to pull it off, but he And he did the best job, but it's not good. No, and it completely centers around him. It's not like there's a bunch of people on the sides who come in and do a lot of heavy lifting. It's the Foo Fighters for 85% of the movie. And uh, they're not very good. And they have a lot of running gags that fall flat because they can't seem to really deliver the comedy. And the horror is not scary, which is fine. I didn't expect it to be. The deaths are like over the top crazy. They're like Tomatrine Toma Team death. Trauma Team? Yeah. Trauma Team, a lot of their deaths, you go, ooh. Right? Like, I'm thinking right now, the first thing that pops in my head, something you brought up a little bit ago, Carl, which was the guys uh, getting their fingers cut off from the paper cutter in Tromeo and Julia. There's nothing like that in this. It's, like, so fake that it doesn't even really make a dent. I mean, there's stuff that theoretically would be fun, and it might be fun in a YouTube clip, but it doesn't feel great when you watch it. Whitney Cummings is in this, and she's having sex with, I don't know, one of the members of the Foo Fighters who's not Dave Grohl. I can't remember which one it is, and literally gets sliced in half, and then the halves fall apart. And you would think that that would be fun, but it's not. It's just <laughs> that boring. That was actually my favorite part. And mostly because <laughs> I, w- I just watched, like last week, had watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And this was a more satisfying chainsaw death than anything in that entire movie. That's fair. <laughs> I just, I didn't watch that. And uh, it really, really fell flat. And I, I'm bummed out because I do like Dave Grohl, but it's... If the band was going to be in this, they should have been B characters. Like like Dave Grohl's a lead, like fine, he's doing the over the top thing, but you should have had one or two accomplished actors that could have pulled stuff off. And it's just, you don't believe any of the dialogue anytime you hear it. And I don't know, like it, it's, hard to, it's hard to quantify because there's bad movies that are so much fun, but this just wasn't fun to me. I had fun, but it, I definitely... Felt like there was more. Definitely you touched on the acting. It was really flat. And the group has chemistry together, but it just, it it felt like there needed to be something else. The key to it, to me, is that the comedy falls flat. Yeah. And it is so reliant on comedy in this movie. Like, it is 70% comedy, 30% horror. I don't get it. Like, they do good in videos. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's the director's fault, honestly. If you can get performances out of them for two or three minute videos, you would think you would be able to do it. I mean, you're just filming 
one scene at a time that's not as long as a video. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely the band can't act on top of it, but I feel like maybe the right director could have gotten something out of it. The other thing is, is they started this movie and they filmed most of it during the quarantine, like March 2020. I mean, just the general atmosphere of everybody, like the feeling that everybody had at that time shows through this movie. So it's kind of has this like dark cloud over it. I didn't notice it, but I won't I won't contend with that either. There's definitely a dark cloud over this movie, (laughs) (laughs) but I felt like it was just that it kind of sucked. And I'm not going to like burn my Foo Fighter CDs or anything like that. You know, like I'll continue to like them. I'm just I'm just bummed out by it. Are there songs from the new album in the movie? No. Yeah, not unless the they're I, working on one song in the thing, and the rest of it is either covers of stuff they've already done. Okay, that's another thing, dude. They have this one scene where Dave Grohl, it's like kind of dark, and he's playing piano. It's before he's possessed. And he starts playing Hello by Lionel Richie, and he's fucking killing it. It's like the best scene in the movie, I think. And yeah. then it immediately gets ruined because Lionel Richie comes walking in, because it turns out this is a dream scene sequence and he starts yelling about how it's his song but Lionel Richie also clearly can't act and (laughs) and so they're going off of each other and it's not funny and it's just like fuck dude if you just ended it with hello I would have at least really liked one scene but even that one falls flat well it sounds like he teamed up with the wrong comedians in Hollywood okay because there's like groups there's like stables of comedians right they like are clicky Comedians are clicky and they tend to group together. And uh, Whitney Cummings is like known to be a, <laughs> she, she attaches to a project that's going to fail. Well, Two Broke Girls did pretty well, but. Was she on that? She created it. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's got fuck you money from that show. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Well, that that was, but it's not a good show. Have no, you ever watched no. it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Like, it's really it's, bad. It's not good. Most of her sitcoms. It's not actively terrible either. I most of the sitcoms that. she's on have lasted like one or two episodes. And she's also like part of the whole Joe Rogan anti vaxxer crazy. Is she? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize she's part that. Of that. That's the crew she runs with. Uh, she also was like one of her failed sitcoms. Her co-lead was Chris Delia, who was canceled for grooming minors. And uh, yeah, like she's just a bad. Now, like when you said that they shouldn't have been at the center of the movie. Yeah. That got me thinking. You grab two of the regulars off of Comedy Bang Bang. Dude, you make them like uh, sound techs. Yeah, exactly. And no, you kind exactly of center right. the movie on them in like a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead kind of way where a bunch of the movie is like them doing nothing, just being the funny people that they are. And then you have the band in the background recording the album and you show crazy shit happening kind of fuzzy in the background. And it's only when big important events happen with the band that they become front and center. And then they can focus all their energy on like one day's worth of filming three really good scenes. (laughs) Yeah. And to double back on Whitney Cummings, um, Personal politics aside and shitty company aside, she's not the problem in this movie. She's actually, I thought, pretty good in this movie, at least stacked up against everybody else. Which character is she? She's the female. 
The neighbor. Yeah, the only other woman yeah. in the movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And she's she's fine. Like she she nails her comedic bits. The problem is she has nothing to work off of. And she's the seventh lead of the movie. Is there five yeah. members of the Foo Fighters? There's three. Well, in this movie, there's like five. Yeah. Those guys are, are just fodder. Extras <laughs> to die. They may like be for additional instruments in certain songs, but there's three core members. I do think the director really fucked up on this movie because <laughs> there's like certain horror bits that like the latex appliances and things look good and the and it just still doesn't work, you know? It's it's a nineties callback and in that way it should work. Like what you see on screen should work, but it doesn't. Like I'm thinking of like the raccoon hanging on the on the wall, for example, and it's draining blood into a thing. And it's a really it should be gruesome, but you look at it and it just it doesn't quite work. I I, I think the director fucked up on this. This uh, I'm I'm gonna put first blame on the director, second blame on the Foo Fighters not being able to act. He yeah. directed Hatchet Three in 2013. He had made a bunch of music videos for Slayer. And then he made this. And then before he made Hatchet 3, he was a cameraman. And he still is a cameraman. Like, he was a, the C camera operator for Malignant. And he was, like, camera operator on The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. And camera operator on Annabelle Comes Home. And camera operator on Shazam. Like, he's involved with all these big projects as a minor this is his big break, dude. Stop shitting all over his big break. Blaming all the, putting all the blame on him. He's just working his way up. It's, you don't not, think it's, you're, it's more Foo Fighters' fault, dude. This guy's I'm on not, his way up. Foo Fighters are like old. It's, it's a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. The other thing I wanted to say is seeing this, this is probably one that you could watch on video and probably be better, but seeing like, 50-year-old Foo Fighters on screen, like, you can see every wrinkle. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're you're right about that. It's They've gotten old, and it does show. <laughs> like, you, when you said that, Carl, about, like, they got old, like, that actually did resonate with me because I was like, uh, yeah, they kind of did. <laughs> it's very obvious when you see it on a giant screen. Who got old? All of the Foo Fighters, dude. Like, so what? <laughs> it's just. Ian McKellen's old. Big deal. Yeah, but Ian McKellen. Helen is an actor and he acts. <laughs> These guys are not actors. Yeah, They're I don't see what them being old has to do with it, though. It's a little jarring. I don't know. <laughs> it's a, like like when you have a band that you really like when you're young and then you see them like way later and you're like, fuck. <laughs> you know, when bands have music videos, especially good ones, you they kind of get locked in your mind at what they look like in music yeah. videos. Like, like the video where his hand gets all big and he slaps people around. That's like what Dave Grohl looks like to me in my mind a lot except i like him with the goatee better than without the goatee i think in my mind it's locked into learning to fly like that video because okay. it's that, got like jack black and kyle gas in it and yeah right i was picturing in my mind the movie with them my version that doesn't exist had john gabrus and sean diston as the two like engineer guys and john gabrus is like he's been in stuff a little bit like he was uh in the movie The Rocker with Rain Wilson, he's like the nephew of Rain Wilson that has the band, and then he joins the uncle joins it. Right, but mostly he just is like, oh no, that's Josh Gad. I'm mixing. I see that was. I knew I was going to mix up Josh Gad and John Gabrus. Uh, John Gabrus is better than Josh Gad. 
He's like the, <laughs> in my mind, he's a superior version of Josh Gad. They're not even really comparable. They're both kind of just bigger white guys. They're about the same age. Fair, fair. John Gabrus is on Comedy Bang Bang all the time, and he's funny. Did you want to talk about Reacher, Carl? Sure. Reacher's fun. Uh, so Reacher's on Amazon Prime. It's an adaptation of a book series. Previously, it's been adapted into two movies with Tom Cruise. And watching this, I can see how much Tom Cruise, Tom Cruiseified the stories to make them all Tom Cruisey. So he's not three foot seven in this show? Surprisingly not. He's like six foot five. He's a Fucking, he's six seven. The actor fucking is, massive, dude. Yeah. So the actor is actually to somebody that I've been fondly following since I first discovered him when he was one of the two leads of the sci-fi series Blood Drive. I get is to bring up. Is this a backdoor thing to talk about? I get, Blood Drive. Well, I don't. <laughs> it's been too long since I've watched it, even though I inexplicably bought it on iTunes. The whole series. It lasted one season. I bought the whole thing on iTunes. Each little episode is like a mini movie that is an homage to a different kind of grindhouse movie. And the one that I remember the best is when they visit this town uh, where there's this gas coming from underground. And the gas turns everybody into a hideously deformed, ugly mutant. But it also affects their brain chemistry, so everybody around them that they can see is, like, super hot, and they're all, like, living in a paradise. And the town is called Cronenberg, <laughs> and that makes me happy. Uh, eventually, I think they cut off the gas, and the whole town discovers how hideous they all are. They either decide that it's terrible, and they all start killing each other, or they're like, fuck it, we're all hideous, so... Let's, let's just have keep, hideous monster let's have a sex. Big, let's have a big monster. <laughs> let's have a big Cronenberg. The show orgy. is <sighs> the show is very dirty. Like there's isn't the, it like people feeding machines blood? To so run? the the people that are competing in the death race style cross country, and it's like the original death race, not like the shitty Paul W S Anderson death race. The death race two thousand. Yeah, it's the good one. They have to get across country from to different checkpoints and the engines run on run on human blood. So you like and they literally when you open up the hood, the engine has a has like a big grinder kind of thing in it. And you just like dump people <laughs> into the engine <laughs> of the car and it chews them up and it feeds the car. So it turns out bigger picture here. Fracking caused a crack in the earth that basically created a connection like it released hell onto earth and so we live in kind of a minorly post-apocalyptic world where parts of the world are just like fucked and that's part of the whole the danger other part of, of the world has to watch studio 666 on an endless loop yeah that's <laughs> part of but like there is of course the like rich part of the world where everybody is still living fine and ha and comfortable because they're exploiting the situation there's all sorts of shenanigans with that. And there's a guy that's playing like the master of the games. And he's like this grimy, like uh, Willy Wonka type. It's like the games master. And he, he's really fun on the show. He also played a super straight laced military guy in Stargate for like nine years. And he was one of those guys that was like way in the background, but was there for like the whole time. He was one of those guys. 
did it turn out that the devil was uh, Jack Reacher the whole time? No, no, he's a good guy the whole time. It turns out that the blood drive is being run by this corporation and the head of the corporation. So there's this other thing that is a plot device in the show that involves soul reclamators or something and when you die you get like tell you basically don't actually die you get like teleported to your this place where your body gets rebuilt there's this girl that's the other lead and she's trying to rescue her sister or find her sister and then it turns out at the end that her sister is like behind the whole thing And was like inside the body of the guy that owns the corporation. And there's like a scene where she literally like. Is that Jack Reacher? No, there's a scene where she literally tears herself (laughs) out of his body. Like it's fucking ridiculous, but it's great. It's fun. And anyways, this guy wound up on the show Titans and he was Hawk, half of Hawk and Dove. Okay. And he was really good. And uh, then in season three. The Riddler put a bomb in his chest and it was had an interesting countdown timer that was timed to like heartbeats instead of seconds. And so he was like trying to slow down the timer by slowing his heart rate and shit. But then Superboy, meanwhile, was using his half Superman powers combined with his half Lex Luthor powers to like try to come up with a device to deactivate the bomb super fast. And he was building prototypes like like the flash they did the jason todd switch into red hood in like a week after they killed him and then they brought him back a week later so there was no like 11 years i think in real life was the gap it was a really long time before they brought back jason todd as red hood but uh and he came back on a bus yeah and he was jack reacher (laughs) okay they went to get him because he was the one that had like put the bomb on him and then he uh was fighting dove and she stole jason todd's gun and then went to shoot him with it that was the trigger on the detonator and the bomb and Superboy has finished his device and he runs in there and he's got like heartbeats away from installing the device but then triggering it triggered it early and it blows up the dude. But that freed him to come do Reacher. And <laughs> he's this brick shit house that can kind of do anything. He's shirtless a lot. And his body is very impressive. Like he's got that deep V. The what do they call it? The cum gutter. The cum- oh, dude. <laughs> like this guy is ridiculous. But he can really act. He really, really can. And, like, he's got this charisma that I just like. He plays a good guy really well. And also, like, a guy that he keeps giving people a countdown and then going early on it. Like, in the very first episode, he gives us, he's like, I'm going to give you the count of three. He's like, one, two, and then bam, 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 he beats the shit out of the guy. And then, like, these guys in the bathroom, because he gets arrested for murder right out of the gates, these guys in the bathroom come after him, and he's like, I'll give you to the count of three. One, (laughs) just starts fucking them all up. And he keeps doing shit like that. Pretty fun, like... Like, he's a vet, right? Yes. Who has, like... Did they say what war it is in this show? Like, uh, how old is this guy? He's... I think he's in his 30s. Okay. So So they've updated Jack Reacher. I've heard in the books he's like a Vietnam vet. Yeah, and this he's did other stuff. So he's like an Iraq. The guy has is he's one of those guys. He's one of those guys that's like just like the list of credentials for this dude just never stops. Closed cases and fucking he's just 
hyper competent. He demonstrates that a lot with his detective skills are really good. He demonstrates his detective skills a lot. Does a lot of snooping around and finding shit and putting stuff together, making connections. There's a like a whole bigger picture thing going on and they kind of feed it to you in little bits and pieces. It actually works a lot better too than the movies did. And I like the Jack Reacher movies with Tom Cruise to be perfectly honest. They're fun, I think. It, particularly the second one that has uh, Kobe Smulders in it because I like Kobe Smulders. And there's a character in this, a female cop, that is a very similar character to the Kobe Smulders character in the Reacher movie. She's Sobe Colders. (laughs) She's her own person for sure. But it's one of those things where like at one point he kind of does that instinctive protect the girl thing. And he's like worried she, he finds somebody that she cares about winds up dead and he's immediately concerned that she's going to be like in like grieving. And she's like, fuck you. I'm pissed. Like, you don't need to treat me like this thing. Like I'm not, you know, it has this whole rant and there's like an nearly identical rant in the movie that Kobe Smulders has. It's probably just a rant from the book. Yeah. And they took like well, one character and used her in two different ways. Like, I've heard they have somewhere around 40 Jack Reacher novels. <laughs> yeah. Like they're, I think it's only 20, but yeah. Is it 20? He shows up somewhere on a bus. He beats the shit out of people and gets to the top of whatever drug ring is going on in whatever town or whatever fucking thing is happening. And then he gets on the bus and leaves. Like that's like every the shitty Jack rich Reacher guy's novel. son. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I have a fondness for the old pulp novels of that those days. Although there's only one series that I've ever really read in earnest. And it was, uh, you guys remember Van Nuys books? I don't know if it's even there anymore. That weird yellow house. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there was this I never weird... actually went in there. Oh my Every God. time I tried to get a book there, they were closed. So it was this weird uh, yellow house next to an, a music shop called Music To Go at the time. I mean, if you I really want to be accurate, regularly. it's right next to a baseball field. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's next to a baseball field. Like it's in the parking lot I guess, of the baseball field. And what is... What used to be music to go is now like an army recruitment center. But uh, so there was this guy, Richard Van Nice. <laughs> he was an interesting old guy. Uh, he had some kind of long-term ailment that caused him. He was very frail. He had some bone thing or something like that. Or muscular. Maybe he had muscular dystrophy or some shit. But I think he's probably gone at this point. I would be shocked if he was still around. But uh, he just kind of filled this old house full of books. And my dad would trade books with him all the time. He had like the radio on and would listen to the radio. And like uh, he would listen to like police band radio stuff. And uh, I found this book series when I was a kid. And it was like my entry into kind of that adult action kind of. And it was a series called End World, right? I very highly doubt that anybody has heard of Endworld. But it was funny. So it was a post-apocalyptic setting. And there was some rich motherfucker that was like a super liberal guy and had like set up a vault in Montana and like saved this tribe of people basically. And then this was like a few, like a generation or two down the line. And this town had like thrived in spite of the post-apocalypse, and now they were sending scouts out to investigate to see how bad the damage is in the rest of the country. It's like this ridiculously diverse group, and, and all of the characters take, they're all combat characters. 
of different types. Like you could have a G.I. Joe for each one of them. Right. Because they all have their chosen weapon. They all take inspiration and names from historical uh, characters. So, so there's let me guess, like, there's a character named Geronimo. There is a character yeah. named dude, Geronimo. As soon as you said Montana, uh, I like put it together. There's a dude <laughs> with a katana that goes by Ricky Tiki Tavi. There's a guy that, and the one guy, the main character, right, who carries, because when you come of age and you survive their trials, you choose a weapon from the table, right? He chose the Bowie knife. So he's got this big ass Bowie knife and he just goes this by Blade. Oh, no, he just okay. goes by Blade. <laughs> but uh there's a dude that has a pair of Colt pistols and he's Hickok. Okay. There's like uh there's just and then so then they travel like each book is a different town and that's where they're going. Most of the time they run into like cannibals and rapists. <laughs> sometimes they run into people <laughs> sometimes they run into like uh established other established communities and help them overthrow whatever dictator warlord has put himself in place and then help them reestablish democracy or whatever and then they establish and slowly establish a network with these other towns and they start to rebuild civilization and i never read the books in order there's like seriously like 40 of them Okay. And I would read like I I would try to collect them, but I would have like one, two, five, seven, eleven, thirteen, nineteen, and like as I would skip around, characters would be like long dead and stuff. And so I was learning spoilers. The series had some serious continuity to it. And so because of this book series and Titans and Blood Drive, you're a big fan of Jack Reacher. Yeah. Well, I'm a big. <laughs> I'm, I'm a fan of this, of that book series, and this book series reminds me of the same kind of nonsense. Gotcha. I mean, when you're yeah. cranking out that many books. You have to have a formula. You have a formula and or you have ghostwriters helping you. Yeah. And so you've yeah. got like a bunch of different people. Because I think that's one of the things about the Endworld series. I, don't, I doubt it's the same with the Reacher books, but I think the Endworld books are written by like four different people or some shit. At the same time, not like one right. after another. Uh, it's too funny. But the actor that plays Reacher... Big fan. And actually, I like the whole cast. And how many episodes are there? I think there's probably, I don't know. I made it like a 10 episode deal, probably. I made it four in, and it is, looks like nine. What a weird number for a show. Nine. That's the one you don't hear a lot. No. Nine. Nine. The female lead is Willa Fitzgerald. She's known for this Alpha House Scream, the series. And the goldfinch. Oh, the goldfinch bombed hard. Nobody saw it. Well, she's... <laughs> that, was, that was like the really big box office flop right before the pandemic. Well, she's good. If There's... they just held it off, they would have had an excuse. Oh, that's where I've seen him before. The main supporting actor who's like a detective that they're, you know, that's also part of the whole thing uh, is Malcolm Goodwin. And he's also known for I, Zombie. Who's he pointing at He's Clive. <laughs> He's the detective. Okay. Bob and Yeah, Bob yeah, Bob okay. I know. I know. We'd... He's really good. He was also in Breakout Kings and American Gangster. 
Okay, so I just wanted to do a couple of Oscar reviews before I kick back in with Brandon and Carl. So first I got The Lost Daughter. So this is about a woman who abandons her children. They show her as an adult with Olivia Coleman playing her and she is in this resort and she sees this family and she's kind of watching them. You don't know what she's really thinking, but at a certain point they lose her kid. She winds up finding the kid, but the kid has lost its doll and she has the doll for unknown reasons reasons and i don't think they ever really resolve it and so she's just letting this kid twist in the wind and suffer and the whole family is just dealing with this nightmarish scenario and the mother seems to have a lot in common with olivia coleman kind of looks up to her and we catch in flashbacks that she had the father of the kid that she was with and the father wasn't super supportive but she just can't stand having a family and eventually she flips out and has an affair and runs off and she abandons her kids and it really examines what type of person would do this you know like what would drive somebody to not just leave your kids but really be okay with it and continue on with life. And it's really interesting because it's covering a character who's really not likable, but it's fascinating to me. It's it's a really good character drama. This was up for Oscars for Best Actress, Supporting Actress, and Adapted Screenplay. Best Actress is Olivia Coleman playing the older version. Jesse Buckley is playing the younger version. They're both doing a fantastic job. Don't really buy that they're the same person because they look so different from each other. But I think their attitudes, like you can see how one turns into the other. And so I guess it works in that way, although it is a little bit of dissonance with your mind when you're watching. You know, if they had come up with somebody who looked a little closer, it probably would have worked better. But that's not to say that they don't do their parts like they do a really good job at their parts. And it's really the only reason to watch it is these two women. They're really, really good. Next is the worst person in the world. Like, I'm just going to cop to this. Uh, I didn't realize it when I picked these three movies to watch over the last two days, but they're all troubled women movies. So the worst person in the world. So this is a story about a woman who is in her 20s and stretches out into her 30s. It said on something I read that it was over a four-year period. It felt like it was longer than that to me, but it's hard to say. But there's narration that kind of takes you through big chunks of this, and it shows that this woman is going to college, and she doesn't like her major, and so she winds up dropping it and doing something else, and she just keeps dropping things in her life and picking other things up. And then eventually, she like finds a boyfriend. She winds up leaving him for another guy she's found and just discards him by the wayside and she gets with this guy and there's all kinds of problems with this guy he seems to want a family she doesn't want a family she adamantly doesn't want a family and that is a big point to this is it shows her family lineage and how many kids they had and what age they had them at she ages out past all of her parents grandmother great grandmother great great grandmother she's older and still doesn't have any kids and this seems to be a rubbing point with everybody but her and she's dealing with a lot of his sexist views and some of them are obvious and some of them are subtle but she really doesn't like that either 
and eventually she leaves him and there is some regret there it's one of the moments that she actually looks back and wonders if she should have done it or not and so when you get to that third act that's really what it hinges on i don't want to give away the whole plot here but it hinges on this guy and was this the right decision he is sexist and there is problems with it but also they worked well together and so she's got to look at these things while she's with this other guy that she left him for you know she was continuing the cycle of just leaving but now she's really facing the cycle and is this the right cycle for her i mean this is a person who interchanges careers interchanges people that she's with but the one thing that's consistent is that she doesn't seem to want kids you know that that's going to rear its ugly head eventually this was a fascinating movie there's just been a couple of movies for the oscars that i've watched where i'm like this is really going to stay with me and one was power of the dog and this is the other one it's up for best international feature and original screenplay i'm kind of bummed out that Renee Rensvi, I think that's how you say her name, who plays Julie, the main character, she should have got a nomination for this. She is incredible in this movie. And I would highly, highly suggest you watch this one. If you have a hard time with subtitles, this is one that is tough because they do a lot of quick talking. And there's certain parts where I was watching the TV from a little distance away and the subtitles are all white and they're always in the same spot in the bottom. But sometimes there's a light background on the bottom, so it's kind of tough to read the stuff. But I always got enough to follow what was going on. So I don't think there's any one line that's going to trip you up if you miss it in this movie, but definitely do yourself a favor and check this one out. And then the final one I watched was The Eyes of Tammy Faye. So this is talking about Tammy Faye Baker going back to the beginnings when she was held off to the side by her mother and not allowed to go into the church because her mother had had an affair, had her daughter. And so she looked at this as shame and like she would be judged by the entire church. Tammy Faye winds up going into the church and speaks in tongues and so they all look at it as this miracle but the mother is horrified by it she gets a validation in the church by speaking in tongues by being this person who she looks at it as having this direct line to god you know and she winds up meeting jim baker who's portrayed by andrew garfield and then it shows how they build this televangelist empire. And he is constantly putting her down. When he's first with her, it seems like it's this great romance. And as time goes on, he seems less and less interested in her. We know with Jim Baker, and of course they cover it in the movie, that he winds up having a lot of affairs, including a homosexual affair. But one of the things that she's very adamant about is accepting people in LBGTQ, accepting people who have AIDS, all these people that were sloughed off by all these other evangelists. She's willing to open her arms and take them. And so this is a big rub between her and her husband. She also comes very close to having an affair on him. And so the way he treats her to know that he was then going to like rip off these affairs that were horrible. I mean, one of the people was Jessica Hahn, and they don't cover it too much in this movie, but he raped her and then gave her, I think, $250,000 in hush money. And then, of course, there was a lot of embezzlement going on. It seems like it gets all the big points that you would want them to get in this movie and jessica chastain does a really good job and she really carries this movie i mean she's practically in every frame of the movie but it's really really hard to watch this person eat shit for two hours and eight minutes and that's basically what it is is she's constantly put down for her looks put down for her feelings for what she believes in 
for loving her mother, like all of these things. She's just constantly shit on throughout this movie. And so it gets to be a really, really rough watch. And I think if they had done it in 90 minutes, it might not have been so bad. But this is a two hour and eight minute movie and they never really let up on it. I will say Michael Showalter directed it and he's done a lot of different kind of films recently. But I first knew him from MTV's The State. He was Doug. And uh, he was in Wet Hot American Summer. And to think that he was capable of doing all these styles of movies is pretty impressive. But, you know, I'm not a big fan of biopics. I feel like I keep coming back to this. But this is a type of movie that seems like it just will not leave. It's always going to be at the Oscars. For a biopic, it's not awful. But I really can't recommend it. I would say spend your time somewhere else. So the Oscars put up their fan favorite board that is what voted that on. So basically, they're introducing a new category where I think on Twitter, I think it's just on Twitter, you can vote for what you want for the Academy Awards to win this category. And so they put up 10 nominees and it's it's basically supposed to be they were talking about doing a popular Oscar for a while. And now this is this is the shape that it's taken. So the, God, have we learned nothing from Total Request Live? Nope. (laughs) So I'm going to read these off and I want you guys to mark what you think is going to be number one and what you think is going to be number 10. They'll never tell us what's number 10, but let's just guess on this. So the nominees are, and there's 10 of them here, Army of the Dead, Cinderella, Dune, Malignant, Minamata. You ever heard of this? The Power of the Dog, Sing 2, Spider-Man No Way Home, The Suicide Squad, and Tick, Tick, Boom. I think number one could be a couple. It could be Dune. It could be Spider-Man. I think it's going to be Spider-Man. Could be Dune. I think Spider-Man. But it's also like I'm not. This isn't what I. This isn't what I would vote for. I think this is what the voters are going to vote for. But no, no, I'm thinking about that because I'm thinking about the voices on social media, and I think that Army of the Dead actually has a viable (laughs) chance. Just because the fucking Snyder bros like coordinate shit online, dude. They are like known for like review bombing shit en masse. They can coordinate a concerted online effort to win polls, man. It's all they got in their lives. You think they're going to turn their Russian bot army onto this? Something. I mean, all I know is that just because Snyder bros are tenacious little fucks, uh, Army of the <laughs> Dead has an opportunity <laughs> to to snag that. But I also do feel like you make a good case. I gotta. Say I feel that. like cinephile Twitter is like has a pretty uh, severe hard on for Dune, and it's got a pretty wide, surprisingly wide appeal. Uh, so Spider Man. I feel like in, in terms of cinephile Twitter, I think that's Power of the Dog. Like that movie, people are just gushing about. Like the the guys who yeah, but that's Academy isn't Awards. that nominated for a real Oscar? Yeah, so's Dune. Yeah, Dune's nominated for like, but five Dune's Oscars. genre fiction. Dune's up for best picture. Dune's up for uh, and that also adapted screenplay. And, it's and up that for... that makes it like the biggest crossover. Like Power of the Dog is on this list. I I don't know why it's on this list. But Dune is on both lists. It's the only one that it's on both lists and it makes sense to be on both lists. You know why I think Power of the Dog is on this list? Why? Because I'm looking at these names and uh, for the ones that are centered around like that women might like. Okay. Other than like just general stuff. It's like Cinderella, 
sing to yeah fucking power of the dog that's who's it. in power of the dog uh Kirsten Dunst is up for best actress Ooh, in it. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do like Kirsten Dunst. That's the female case I would make there. But she is probably so you the wouldn't second lead say in the movie. Tick Tick Boom gets along a big female following. I think Tick Tick Boom is a musical fan following because I did consider that when I was reading it, but like it's still centered on a guy and a guy's problems. And it's not exactly sympathetic to the female character in it either. I think if a female person is into, like, musical theater, then yes. But I think this is specifically only people like musical Yeah, you got to like musical theater. I like musicals for to an extent, but I don't like Rent. And written by the same guy. So. Exactly. It's about the guy who wrote Rent. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the play he wrote before <sighs> Rent even. Like, it's a, it's about himself. But, okay, so what do we think will be dead last in this list? Sing 2. Sing uh, 2. It's possible. What happened with Cinderella? Because I heard, I didn't even know Actually, that came I out. Is that a Disney Cinderella? I or is it Cinderella guess. Man? No, Russell no, it's, not sequel? it's not Cinderella. Is it a Russell Crowe Cinderella Man like 2003's Cinderella Man, no. They still had that jockstrap in like a museum at a blockbuster somewhere. That was his jockstrap from uh, Gladiator. Oh, right. <laughs> I just assume that every time he wears a jockstrap in a so movie, it winds up in a museum somewhere. Yeah. Is Cinderella an adaptation of the Cinderella yeah, fairy tale? Yeah, got uh, Billy Porter and... Oh, Billy Porter. Is he that flamboyant yeah. black man? Uh, it's also got Pierce Brosnan, Camilla Cabello. Oh, okay. Minnie and Driver. is she, is Camila Cabello? Camila Cabello? Is Cinderella. she Cinderella? Yeah. That makes sense. The, um, I'm just actually, looking at like the audience scores were like from IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic are all between 40 and 43%. Pretty muddling. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. bet yeah. it's okay. just kind of forgettable. So what's Minamata? Can mm. you like that? It's M-I-N-A-M-A-T-A. Just try to say it like in a... Minamata. No, it's like, it's, not, it's probably an Asian pronunciation. I don't know how to speak. Any Asian so, language. All right, racist. <laughs> <laughs> the quick synopsis of this movie. In 1971, ph- photographer W. Gene Smith travels to Minamata, Japan, a coastal city ravaged by mercury poison, ushered by an impassioned translator and encouraged by local villagers. Smith's powerful images expose decades of gross negligence. So the cast for this, Johnny Depp, <laughs> Bill Nye. Johnny Depp saves Japan. Um that's what it sounds like. Some White other... man savior complex in Japan movie. Yeah. With Johnny Depp. I'm going to say that's dead last. Johnny Depp and Bill Nye, and then everyone else is Japanese. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that's dead let's last. Put that, let's just put that dead last because Johnny Depp kind of sucks these days. <laughs> yeah, he does. But I like Bill Nye. I was like, I feel bad putting I think Bill, Bill Nye, Nye in. But... Bill Nye's buddies with him because they did uh, Pirates also, of the Caribbean he's twice. Also, right. He's in those movies and he's in Love Actually. In my book, he's got a lot of red, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck Bill Nye. Bill Nye's <laughs> plot line in Love Actually is the best part of that movie. Yeah, and it's not good, dude. It's fine. It's not good. That's fine. Fuck he Bill was Nye. he's Simon Pegg's father-in-law in, in real uh, life. No, in, in uh, the Shaun of the Dead. In Shaun of the Dead. Oh, Philip, we gotta right. kill Philip. All right, you get a pass, Bill Nye, because I'm not totally. <laughs> but familiar you're with you're you. towing the line yeah, here, buddy. You're he's walking good. the line. He here. was great as Davy Jones. He's a great. Okay, dude. we're cutting this shit off. <laughs> 
So Patrick Stewart owned up to the fact that he was in the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Dude, you can't expect him to keep secret like that. He doesn't have much time left. Here's the thing. He didn't he even knew recognize. He, could, he knew he could reveal it once it was revealed. He didn't say this. I'm just getting into it. But what he did say is he saw the Super Bowl commercial and he didn't recognize his own voice because when he did the voiceover, apparently he had a cold. <laughs> And then, like, yeah, so that that's what he's saying is, like, he had a cold, so he didn't recognize himself. And he had his phone off during the Super Bowl, so he didn't realize that people were texting him being like, hey, I saw you in the trailer. So he didn't realize that he was in the trailer. So he <laughs> was, like, trying to keep the secret. That's funny. Yeah. So we guessed that accurately. Did we report on that last week or something? Two days ago, yeah. <laughs> and then John DiMaggio is officially coming back for Futurama. See, ben is back, baby. We knew it was going to be fine. Yeah, we I knew. It was just how big of a truck they needed to back up. Yeah. And I have a and I'm sure that whatever offer they gave to John DiMaggio was they upped the offers to Katie Segal and Billy West. Or they had him sign an MDA to not disclose what his salary was. No, he's <laughs> Which is more likely in my no, mind. I think this is Disney. His, his whole John DiMaggio's whole statement when he was doing that was that he wanted it for everybody on the crew. Yeah. So I have a feeling that they backed up a big truckload to the whole crew and not just to him. This is where we differ. I think they backed it up to him and part of it was like sign this non-disclosure agreement about how okay. much you're making. I, we'll I've see. just seen Disney fuck over people too many times. I think that John DiMaggio's demands were for everybody and not just himself. I agree. I also think when he saw that he was going to get what he asked for if he signed an NDA, I think he did that. <laughs> it's, it's just my opinion. But doesn't signing an NDA just mean that you did something fucking gross? So it's just. It also a, means you did a Marvel movie. It's. Yeah. Uh, there's only Disney one thing. Who owns but Marvel? But there's only one thing signing an NDA here in this situation could possibly be about. So it's like not even being secretive. It's like you putting, don't have. Have to tell people it's you putting signed a an NDA. Well, but you're saying reporting that they that he did. That's your. I'm speculation. not reporting. I'm speculating. That's Just your like speculation. You're, spe- you're speculating that. Well, why are you speculating him being? A bad person. I am speculating that Disney's being a bad corporation, and I think it came down to, like, everybody else signed, you can sign or not, but we'll give you this extra money to make you happy if you sign, but NDA. That's what I think happened, because this, is, uh. this to me, is more in line with what Disney does. For example, this big story came out about Jon Favreau and how they did him right. Couldn't get the numbers that he got. Like, they just said that they, like, signed him for quite a bit of money after season one of The Mandalorian, but they could get no information on how much it was. But somebody in the know leaked out that it was more than Dave Filoni, and that was all that they could say. And Dave Filoni is overseeing all of their television arm. So, like, for one show and then writing some other shows, he's making more than Dave Filoni, according to Leak. I think that's how Disney rolls, man. Like, time well, and time again, they fuck over creators. You may be focusing on Disney, but you're inadvertently so saying that John DiMaggio caved at the very least. I think that John DiMaggio. I think that John DiMaggio put himself in a good light, and probably on the advice (laughs) of a lawyer for for leverage, 
because this is a business and we forget that sometimes because we fall in love with the actors. Oh, well, of course he's going to promote himself, but this is like more what I'm thinking of is he has a working relationship with his co-stars. Okay. All right. I got to turn this back on you because you're like right. trying to put me back on my heels. You were the one that was saying that Katie Seagal and Billy West were not being good people because they signed stuff without Joe DiMaggio. Right. But he was the one that publicly stated this isn't just about me when he refused the deal. They right. were rude for not consulting him when they accepted the deal. When he s- publicly stated, this is why I'm not accepting the deal. He put a lot of pressure on himself to then live up to that and not just be angling for a better deal for himself. Right. I think he gave himself leverage and he gave himself an out by saying that. And if like, I'm just saying like, I think there's no, there's no story. Himself. There's no story about the rest of the cast getting more money. If that happens, I'll come on and say I was wrong. But that's going to be a story if that happened, right? Absolutely. I feel like if it came out that he was the only one that got a raise, that that would be newsworthy. In my opinion, it would because it would mean that he went way. He's a hypocrite. He's on top of everything. He would be a hypocrite. But the story doesn't say how much he made or if he got a raise. Right. So this is literally what was said. I'm back, baby. So damn grateful for the love and support of fans and colleagues alike during this whole time, especially my wife, Kate. And I cannot wait to get back to work with my Futurama family. Hashtag Bendergate is finally over. So put it back on the shelf behind Christmas decorations or maybe in that kitchen drawer with all the all the crap you put in there, like unusable crazy glue or maybe even a jar you save farts in whatever floats your boat i don't care you get the picture i'm back baby bite my shiny metal ass nothing about the rest of the cast making money it was just uh i'm back well it says he's happy avoiding says he's happy to be rejoining his castmates it does it doesn't say i'm happy me and my castmates got a raise it could but he's but he's happy so that means they're all getting along i didn't say they weren't (laughs) <laughs> that's what an NDA will do for you so did you get that raise I can't talk about it ah, that would create tension that creates tension I can't not being allowed to discuss it they didn't want me to say anything else in the press so they made me sign an NDA not being allowed to discuss your pay with your co-workers I, is a I red flag I positive for like pot and they were concerned about it that I would miss work for it so I had to sign an NDA but don't tell anybody because I had to sign an NDA this there's is so not many excuses you could use How? but this is not how you would behave at your job I don't have to sign NDAs. By the way, I did sign an NDA and I fucking broke it on the podcast. So I'm not your usual cat. Just a bad person, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I I didn't get paid shit. That's why I broke it. (laughs) I didn't think anybody cared about what happened in the back of a Jimmy Kimmel sketch. So, yeah. I fucking broke Disney's NDA. I had to sign an NDA to be in the background of a sketch. I was just an audience member. You saw that sketch, yeah, right, I've Brandon? It. It's just a dude walking with a snake. Like, it wasn't even any big celebrities or anything like that. There was nothing that happened, and I had to sign an NDA. <laughs> that's, that's another reason why I think Disney fucking had him sign an NDA. I'm just saying. Oh, everybody signs an NDA. Yeah, it's- yeah. Uh, one quick, I want to plug the Myrna Loy. They're starting a, a local film, Ted K, uh, locally produced here in Helena, Montana, movie about Ted Kaczynski that opens this week and it'll be playing through March 14th. Oh, interesting. I'll have to check that out. You know, there was one other thing I forgot. It's still on the Disney tip here. So Disney, I think it's March 16th is going to have all the subscribers choose their parental settings for Disney Plus because they're going to start putting 
mature content onto the site. And this seems to be timed out with them getting back all of the Marvel Defenders and Jessica Jones and Daredevil Punisher, all of that kind of stuff. Do you think it's just a matter of time before Disney Plus absorbs Hulu and uses that as their tab on the Disney Plus? So that's what I was going to get at. Content? What does this mean for Hulu? Because it seemed like the separation was you put the adult stuff on Hulu and some of the network stuff, and then Disney Plus is like your kids can watch it. I would honestly like to see. Hulu get absorbed by Disney Plus. So it just be one, one big streaming just service. Just for it to be one subscription that I'm paying for. Because right now, it's, I mean, it's in a bundle anyways, but yeah, it's still a pricier bundle than I'd like to have. Yep. <laughs> Disney only owns, I think it's 46%. No, they own all of Hulu now. So I've been reporting this over the years and the numbers have changed over and over again. But essentially what happened was at the start, Disney owned 20% of it. It was basically every media company had 20%. And then at some point they absorbed or no, they had 40%. Then they absorbed Fox, which put them at 80%. And then Comcast, who was trying to buy it out earlier, gave up and gave Disney the last 20%. So they own Hulu outright now. Yeah, and NBC... um, No. NBC's got Peacock. As of January 1st, NBC has 33% still, and Disney has 67%. That's why there's NBC stuff on Hulu still, I think. Yep. But NBC has Peacock now, and there's... I think there's just like contracts that and need to expire. And when we say NBC, we mean Comcast, We right? mean Universal, NBC Universal. Uh, and they, when those contracts run out, I think that's when Hulu will g- get absorbed by Disney. Okay. Because it's only a matter of time. NBC is so terrible. It's like the shows <laughs> that they make are like real-life versions of the parody shows that 30 Rock had NBC making. But they make them in real life. Bitch Hunter. Remember Bitch Hunter? Yeah. With Will Ferrell. (laughs) Okay, so I'm looking at this. So you are right. NBC's got 33% until 2024 or earlier. That's what I... The article... Yeah. They don't got an exact date. And then Disney owns it outright. The article that I saw said that the streamer... Streaming is going to undergo a major upheaval in 2024. And that's part of why. Is because the lease between Hulu is going to basically vanish. And it's what they're doing internationally, what Disney's doing internationally. They have something called Star. Yes. That is what Hulu basically is. In in America is Star internationally. I think that was one of the companies they acquired from Fox. And so they've been like putting a shitload into that internationally. Because the streaming stuff is all different outside of the United States. It's completely different. It's interesting. I mean, we listen to some of the same podcasts with, uh, and they'll talk about what, what streaming service they're hearing certain things on. And it's yeah. weird, man. Like there's In stuff Australia. on Netflix that's like Amazon here. Yeah. Or uh, it, it's crazy. <laughs> it's what happens when you got these big conglomerations that you just so can't one, pin them So one down. last little thing that I kind of saw that's a fun little news tidbit, which is that uh, so there's a television adaptation of the video game Twisted Metal coming out. Really? 
Yeah, and uh, I think it's going to be very Blood Drive-esque. Guy in a post-apocalyptic wasteland has to deliver a package across, and he's got a big armored car or whatever. Who cares? Uh, but it's it's being show-ran by the guys behind the Deadpool movies. And apparently, the news that I read this morning was that a lady can announce that she's on the writing team, and uh, her name is Allison Toffel. She was on BoJack Horseman, and I think she co-wrote one of the best episodes of the series. Anyways, her being on the show actually makes me think it could be something worth keeping an ear to the ground about. You know, like it could surprise us. I don't think it'll surprise me because I'm not ever going to watch it. But like, I hear what you're saying. (laughs) You don't like, you don't like BoJack Horseman or Deadpool? Uh, I like Deadpool a little bit. You don't like BoJack Horseman? No. Tried four different times. Cannot get into it. I had people tell me like, oh, you just, you just have to stick with it. Like I I got through the first season. Dude, I don't like that show. I'm sorry. I don't know what it is. Something about it just doesn't hit me right. It's got some of my favorite people in the world on it. <laughs> I think I like comedies to not make me want to slash my wrists when I finish them. It doesn't always do that. It has every time I've watched it's not it. Not every episode. It's not like it's it's not like every joke is about that. I didn't say every joke. There's a whole episode about how the how the troops are jerks. I like that one a lot. <laughs> Just because you take a jerk and you give him a gun and put a uniform on it on him doesn't make him automatically not a jerk. Aside from all of that, the whole thing that it's based off of Twisted Metal, I stay away, dude. Like, it's not a video game I've ever wanted to pick up. You I'm never certainly played, not going to watch the never played material. the games? No. No. They, they the games were, were a lot of fun. The games were fun. Sure. It was like a dual arena and everyone had a goofy a goofy. Uh, like vehicle with weapons on it. There was an evil clown with the ice cream truck. There was so, a guy in a big wheel that was like, this, the, "What are you doing? Are you destroying other trucks, or are you racing? Are you doing?" No, goals? you're it's, in it's a like death a, arena, yeah. and you're trying to kill the other people. Yeah, this doesn't appeal to me. I don't know. You like? I like to kill people on horseback. I gave away like destroyed other cars when I was playing Road Blasters. So there was like a game 90s. that I played on computer back in the day called Carmageddon and that one was like a race but the track was just filled with random people and you got extra points for killing people by running them over as you ran the race and the thing about that game was the physics were really stupid so you could like go off a jump there was like a 300 foot jump (laughs) and that was part of the track it was pretty dumb but it was fun oh I'd watch a show based off of that <laughs> but that's blood death drive. Race. What's that? Death race or blood yeah. drive? Watch blood drive on sci-fi. I actually, I will be honest. Blood drive sounds like it scratches an itch that I could watch. No, like, it's pretty I, fun. I, it's competently made. I as was well. going to watch it until I found out it wasn't getting a season two, and then I never got. Doesn't need to it. a season two. It's <laughs> see, that's what I need to. Sci-fi hear. shows don't need season twos. I'm actually. It's just, often better if they don't get them. Yes, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> the show Happy had only gotten one season because it was better yeah, one dude. season. Yeah, I can't put my finger on what happened to Happy, but it just was not fun in the second season. The second season is a sci-fi bullshit bunch of nonsense with, like, the aliens. I don't think I even got quite that far. Yeah, it's really stupid. Anyways, yeah. watch one season of Blood Drive because that's all you get. <laughs> I'll watch that. I will not vroom, watch vroom, Twisted Metal. Blood into the engine. <laughs> Take it easy.
please rate and review our show. Sign up for an Anchor account and you can leave voice messages through a link in the description of the podcast or you can answer our poll questions. Reach out to us through Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs or Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs. Email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created and hosted by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Aaron Donaldson and Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void.